is literally not having it. He looks like he's been through it, which is another thing about that muttering where he's like muttering like, oh, I, I'll just have to give you a reason. Like so many of these characters mutter things, but kind of loudly to themselves yeah. as if everyone in the room doesn't or in the vicinity doesn't <laughs> they do it constantly Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by my dear friend, Lara, a.k.a. Jimmy with the Weather. Lara, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> now, every episode of this podcast, we watch a movie of the guest's choice and discuss it. And that is why, um, Lara, I only have one question for you. Why did we watch Twilight New Moon? Um, because I had a better movie in mind, um, and I didn't write it down and I couldn't remember it for the life of me. So then all that was left was the worst of the Twilight Saga. <laughs> well, thank you for picking the worst of the Twilight Saga, <laughs> not one of the better Twilight movies, but, uh, we've got, we've got yeah, a lot to unpack not. here. <laughs> I think that there's a lot to be said for a movie where basically nothing happens. Um, exactly (laughs) my whole point (laughs) so we open on the world's slowest title reveal as a you guessed it new moon fills the screen and wipes incredibly slowly through other moon phases to reveal the word moon followed shortly by the word new is the title of the movie baby (laughs) yeah you know i actually counted and it's like over 40 seconds that we sit there so long and for a good like 20 seconds the only word you can see is moon (laughs) why would you not wipe in the other direction to reveal the title in the order that you would read it why do you care so much about the word moon in this situation the moon's on screen we know the moon is involved you don't need to reveal the moon first creatures of the night these are creatures of the night (laughs) only half of them are the others (laughs) seem to be able to just hang out wherever that's a fair point (laughs) So we get some narration from Bella, who's reading some, like, hella dramatic slam poetry or whatever. I wasn't really paying attention. We're only, like, two minutes in, and I was already zoning out. Uh, And we get, like, a slow-mo scene of her running through a bunch of, like, red hooded figures. And then we cut into the woods, a field of flowers, and across the field she sees an old woman who she calls out to, thinking that it's maybe, like, her grandmother uh, as Edward. Our, our vampire from the previous movie emerges from the woods, uh, glistening in the sunlight to stand next to her. <laughs> Bella and Edward go up to meet the old woman, but the old woman continues to mirror her every move, and Bella slowly realizes that that's no grandmother, that's my reflection. As she, Wait, is- I actually, like... Okay, so I watched Twilight over and over and over again when it came out, was literally uh-huh. obsessed, loved it so much... Even when it was terrible, like New Moon. My mom and I hated New Moon, but we still watched it repeatedly. And it did not, like, click to me. Like, I knew it was, like, her, but it didn't click to me, like, how important that was. And now, like, actually watching it back and then seeing her fear of getting old in the earlier films, I'm like, wait, 
that was actually kind of a nicely done opening for a poorly done movie. Yeah, I will give this scene credit in that I was like, well, I kind of get the gimmick almost immediately upon seeing an old woman on the other side of the field staring back at yeah, Bella. Right? I was like, oh, it's Bella. And then she said Nana. And I'm like, that's not your Nana, girl. <laughs> but yeah, this yeah. is like the most, I think, palatable scene of like showing the character's anxiety throughout the entire movie. Because this whole movie is basically just Bella's big depressive episode. And a lot of that stems from this core conflict of, like, she doesn't want to get older. She's really anxious about it because the guy she loves, Edward, is a vampire and will immortally stay a teenager or whatever. And and so this scene is is very nicely done in that there's not really any dialogue in it. It's, it's all sort of driven by the acting. Um, <laughs> which... <laughs> Which, no shade to any of the actors, because it does feel like a directing choice that everything is the way it is in this movie, but... (laughs) I'm like, I, when I look back at it, I'm like, I feel like they completed the assignment as instructed. Yeah, Um, it, it, it reads like, oh, you were given a note, and you said, fine, I will do this note, and that note was to only act as though you are experiencing gastrointestinal distress for the entire movie regardless of what role you're playing everyone has this problem you know and the thing is like every now and then like Kristen Stewart lets it up but Uh Robert Pattinson oh he he took that note and he ran with it he never let it go for the entire the whole series actually the whole saga he takes that note and he never releases it it's it's almost incredible. Uh, if you haven't watched a Twilight movie in a while, though, it could be a little dark. It's been a while since I've watched any of them. The last time I watched a Twilight movie was like two years ago, drunk in Shanghai, China. So this was... Love that. Yeah, this was a bit of a different experience. Um, yeah, it could be a little bit jarring coming off of other Robert Pattinson acting movies. Like I could just watch The Lighthouse recently, and I'm like, oh, right, this is this is where... <laughs> we, had to, we had to get through... Twilight New Moon so that we could eventually get to the lighthouse. <laughs> this is a journey. <laughs> um, we all have to start somewhere. We, <laughs> but speaking of a journey, Bella uh, wakes up from her very symbolic dream with a very symbolic copy of Romeo and Juliet laying Literally, next to her on the bed. I was gonna say, how heavy-handed can they be? And then, you know, like, just in case they thought that we didn't notice the Romeo and Juliet laying right next to her head. They Mm -hmm. go ahead and mention it like two minutes later when she's in the parking lot for school. I was like, you, you don't have to punch us in the face with it. (laughs) Not even like it's, it's the, she takes up half the frame and the other half is a copy of Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) We got the message. We understand what you're trying to say movie. (laughs) Uh, and, And as she's, awakening from her her nightmare uh charlie her dad a a good father figure arrives to wish her a happy birthday and give her uh a gift a camera from her mom who lives in florida with her new husband uh bella this is the beginning of the weirdest relationship dynamic in the movie and i I don't say that lightly because this movie has nothing but strange relationship dynamics in it but bella and her dad don't act like a a father and a daughter at all like it feels more like they just are roommates yeah, she's like he's so i thought we agreed to know presence uh and she, ah, she's just very it's, it's, she feels estranged from him but ostensibly they have a good relationship and she's she's been with him i think for most of her life her mom left like a long time ago yeah. So I'm like, why 
is every interaction between the two of you so like awkward and estranged and every time she disappears he's always like Bella I can't believe you do that <sighs> and then that's like the end of her punishment yeah like he like has throwaway lines about her being grounded but not really um, yeah and, and and every time they interact it always just feel like Charlie is giving the most but Bella has like just some weird block up in their relationship and that's what's making it read as strange. And I can't tell if that was a writing problem where someone was just like, I don't know how to write a father figure <laughs> or like that was a, 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 an intentional block in their relationship to make like later choices in the, the series. Because eventually Bella, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't um, experienced the Twilight Saga at this point <laughs> in cultural <laughs> history, Bella does become a vampire eventually. You know, her, her father's going to age up and die like I can't tell if they're trying to see that being less of a painful choice or if it's just like weird writing because there's a lot of weird writing in this movie. It's a, a bit difficult to differentiate the two. But what will like make it less of a painful choice? It's kind of like the whole point though, you know? Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, and then there's also like books that they're going off of as a blueprint for this writing. Mm-hmm. Um, they could even use exact lines from the book. And I don't think <laughs> that people would have been too mad about using some of that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a little confusing on how, like, I don't know, the mark is right there. It's only a few feet away. And then they just missed. Right. And I do feel like her relationship with her dad seemed more natural in the previous movie, too, which makes it weird that it immediately upon him appearing on screen in this one, I'm like, oh, it's it's so much more awkward than I remember it being. And part of that might be me misremembering Twilight. But like, I thought that they had a slightly more believable relationship in the, in the first film. No, I agree with that, too. I'm like, I don't I don't understand. There's just so much distance, like mm-hmm. they're in the room, but it feels like there's so much space between them. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but, but speaking of a lot of space, uh, we get our we go from that scene into our first overhead shot uh, of a red truck driving through Forks. Uh, this will not be our only shot of that red truck driving through <laughs> Forks throughout the movie. As a radio mentions a missing hiker, and and Bella arrives at school. Her gaggle of friends all greet her, and she sort of like takes a picture with them as the Cullen family rolls up. <laughs> Wait, and did you notice like? When, like, when I say everything in this film is so heavy-handed, it's so heavy-handed, every single car in that parking lot, aside from the main and supporting characters, is silver. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I was like, what? <laughs> in what world does everyone drive the same exact silver sedan? Right? Like, okay, there's... This movie is not color graded as badly as the last one was, where it's just like everything is blue. But they did so much work to only have like Bella and the Cullens and sometimes Jacob wear any sort of identifying color. Everyone else is just like, I'm going to be in the most basic outfit ever. It is going to be (laughs) neutrals only. Everyone's mutable. (laughs) You can ignore everyone and it would not matter. The Cars is a good example of it. Yeah, because it was actually kind of, like, weird. It was, like, mm-hmm. kind of strange. I was like, when does that ever happen? Where everybody's driving the same silver Toyota Camry. <laughs> yeah, thinking back to our high school parking lot. Uh, not not our, our experience in car choice for most <laughs> high schoolers. Not even a bumper sticker amongst any of you? Come on. Exactly nothing. And then 
Edward and the friends are both driving like black vehicles, and then there's just Bella with her big red truck that says "Drink Me." Like, it's just so <laughs> on the nose. I'm gonna start making bumper stickers that just say "Drink Me" on. <laughs> New merch idea. <laughs> like they could not make this whole oh, her blood is irresistible any more blatant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, as as the Cullens sort of roll up in their identifiable vehicle, the friend group like dismisses themselves to go off and do high schooler things, I guess, as Bella watches Edward walk in slow motion across the parking lot with like a strange amount of wind billowing just around his jacket. Yeah, I kind of love that, though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's we it's how we know. Here's the man we're supposed to know and love. Um, they quip about her dating an old man because he's 109 and she it's her birthday and she's turning like what 19 18 uh, and then take the opportunity to have the least charismatic kiss ever uh but before they get too involved in that jacob is also here and he has long what, hair that's what gets me though is every single kissing moment is so awkward and then for jacob to run in the middle of their awkward kiss it just made a horribly awkward scene that much more awkward <laughs> and it is not the last time that that will happen, even in just this movie. Like, the, every single kissing scene, I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable, and something's interrupting. Li- Often it's Jacob. <laughs> every single time. <laughs> and then, like, when Edward, he's like, I'll leave you two to talk. And then he literally moves, like, two paces to the left. Yeah. I'm like, you have super hearing, dude. Even if yeah. you didn't have super hearing, you're still within eavesdropping distance. <laughs> and then he just sits in the background of their whole conversation with his gastrointestinal problems <laughs> increasing <laughs> by the minute. A conversation that is incredibly awkward also, because Bella says... Hello, biceps, an observation that the tight framing of the shot does not at all support the audience of seeing. I guess the implication is that Jacob has gotten buffer since the last movie, but he looks, I think, the same. Jacob sort of like chides her for not hanging out with him more, trash talks her school because he goes to school uh, on the res, and invites her to come ride a motorcycle with him. Uh, and then gives her a dream catcher as a birthday present. This is all the information that we will need about Jacob to set up the rest of the movie. <laughs> He, he, he rides and maintains motorcycles. He does not go to the same school as Bella. And he gave her a dream catcher. All of this, plus he would like to hang out more. That's it. That's all that Jacob needs to know or do for Bella to interact with him the way that she will for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Edward and Bella walk the halls of the world's grayest high school. Like, not even the, the lockers were a greenest. weird color. It, I mean... Yeah, it didn't have the blue color grading of the first movie, but it was mm-hmm. still, like, it looked sickly. Everyone looked sickly. It looked yeah. like you were walking down hospital hallways, not a high school. Not a high school. It didn't have, like, the world's ugliest color of locker lining the walls. They were all gray. Like, that's not true the <laughs> American high school experience. Yeah, no decorations, nothing. Yeah, not like a Spirit Week flyer that's been up for months. Like. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> get us together. As they're walking the halls, they sort of get uh, ambushed by Alice and Jasper, the sister Cullen with psychic powers and the ex-Confederate soldier who invite her to dinner and also give her an outfit that they tell her to wear to dinner, which seems like a demanding Odd. thing for you to do, as seeing as we <laughs> you invited her this morning, but okay. Um and in case you didn't get the Romeo and Juliet symbolism earlier in the movie, you'll never guess what they're watching in English class. Literally. 
So but it's <laughs> so heavy handed, punches you in the face. It does. I do love that the teacher is like mouthing along the words to Romeo and Juliet as they're watching the VHS, though, because I was like, that's me. Like, that's you're sitting in class watching Shakespeare, like performing alongside it. That's I respect that. He's the best character. Uh, And Edward and Bella are sitting way in the back of the classroom next to each other, several feet away from everyone else in a seating arrangement that no one would ever approve of. No, never. And they talk uh, about all the ways that Bella could die. And we get a flashback to the darkest hour of the last movie where he's like, I thought I couldn't get to you in time. And he was going to go uh, provoke the Volturi to kill himself if if Bella had died. Uh, pre- in the previous movie, what, maybe refresh me on this, Lara. Bella was uh, attacked by a bunch of uh, vampires, basically. Yeah, like a little, it was a little rogue click and then... Mm-hmm the boyfriend kind of headed it up and he was like, oh, no, we're going to get her if it's the last thing we do. They had to kill him to save her. Um, Mm -hmm. And the girlfriend and the little tag-along friend, they got away. And now the girlfriend's like, oh, well, you killed my boyfriend, so I've got to kill your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's sort of going to be our background conflict for part of this movie. It sort of doesn't really come to anything other than some chase scenes, but uh, they'll they'll pay that off later, I guess. (laughs) Uh, before he can, uh, Bella sort of questions Edward as to what the Volturi are, and before he can explain, the teacher calls on him to recite some iambic pentameter, and the camera very slowly pushes in on him as he does the most soulless rendition of Romeo and Juliet that I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> and then later, immediately in the next shot, they are at the Cullens, and Edward explains what the Volturi are. So why did we have to wait for the payoff of that reveal? Just so that we could have Robert Pattinson read some Shakespeare Again, as soullessly as possible. There was no plot reason we couldn't know what they are. We just had to wait, I guess. Because they are making a point. If you are missing the (laughs) Romeo and Juliet, if you're missing that point, they're going to keep shoving it down your throat until you catch it. Oh my gosh, it's too much. It's too much, man. Uh, but they, Edward explains that the Volturi are an old, powerful vampire family and that uh, basically they're sort of the closest thing to, like, the law that vampires have. And uh, even Carlisle lived with them for a little while. And they really only regularly enforce the rule vampires keep themselves secret. Uh, if you reveal yourself, you could end up getting killed. They also take the opportunity to talk about Victoria, the one of the vampires from the previous movie who was now our main antagonist in this movie, quote unquote main antagonist. Um, and <laughs> Bella is like, you should change me into a vampire so I can protect you. And Edward is like, no, no, I'm going to protect you, girl. What are you talking about? I don't want to make you into a vampire. <laughs> the Cullens begin the world's most awkward birthday party, which is just the Cullen family, as always. And they like give her some gifts. Well, and then you got to remember that, like, over 50% of them look miserable. They look like they don't want to be there. Like, (laughs) Esme's smiling. Alice is giddy. Carlisle, he's just sitting there. Mm -hmm. He Mm -hmm. doesn't really have anything. Emmett looks happy, but then he's beside, like, the angriest Rosalie. Right. And then Jasper... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) He's going through some things. (laughs) Jasper's having a time. Uh, I'm glad that you know the names of all of the Cullens because I only know Carlisle, Jasper, Alice, Edward. So (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm glad you could fill in the rest of us right there and lay it out because otherwise I was just going to refer to them as angry vampires to be like two, three, and four for the rest of this podcast. I will, I'll be throwing to you, Lara, for some for clarification. Um, yeah, so they give her some gifts and Alice takes a bunch of pictures, which I guess in the lore of the Twilight movies, vampires show up in photos. Because uh, they don't in mirrors because in her dream, Edward didn't show up in the mirror when Bella was looking at him. So I guess it's a, a distinction being I- made. I think he might have explained it, too, in, in the first movie. I think that might have actually been a, a thing that he explained. Mm. Um, I just... I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really pay much attention to the lore. They lost me at Sparkling. <laughs> I like. I feel like in in Rebellion to the Sparkling, I tried to pay more attention to the lore. Because I'm like, mm, we gotta... I gotta see if this is supported by the text anywhere. Like, oh, you're Sparkling? What else is unique about you? What else do I need to know? <laughs> I, I, like, I really, I couldn't focus. For that entire, like, reveals, you're impossibly fast. <laughs> like, that whole, that whole scene. I, I literally, <laughs> I couldn't focus on anything. I have no, I have no idea. If you were to bring up more lore to me, I'd probably watch this movie way more times than you. But if you mm-hmm. brought up more parts of the lore, I probably wouldn't know them. Let's see what lore we get to, because there's a, a couple things that come up in this movie that I was I had forgotten were relevant to vampire lore in this series. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're going with that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Bella, like, like an infomercial before section, struggles to open one of her gifts and ends up getting a paper cut, which in a room full of vampires is not good. Because as we remember from the previous movie, her blood is like irresistible to vampires or whatever. Uh, the Cullens are all, like, vegetarians, quote-unquote, so they don't drink human blood. Uh, but some of them are better at it than others. And Jasper getting the scent of blood is, like, about to go uh, ape shit. <laughs> so... It's, like, the most dramatic blood drop. It sizzled when it hit it the carpet. Sizzled. It, it sizzled. sizzled. Why did it sizzled? <laughs> and, then, and then Edward, he thinks, you know how I could make this better? Let me slam her into the wall. Yes! <laughs> He so he sees that Jasper's about to charge, and what Edward does is he just fully like chucks Bella back into a glass table where she hits the wall and rag dolls, um, and then he goes and like tackles his Jasper, uh, which just makes Bella bleed much more because now she's got all this glass in her arm and everyone's about to go wild and they all they all excuse themselves to get out of that situation except for Carlisle who is a doctor. And treats her wound while explaining that he and his family are, you know, they're like damned regardless of what choices they make as vampires. Something, something like their souls are gone or whatever. It doesn't matter yeah. how they get the blood. And this is, this is the core of like Edward's conflict for not wanting to make Bella a vampire. He's like, I don't want to take your soul from you. And Bella's like, man, I don't give a shit about that. One. <laughs> 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 who cares? If you're going to live forever, who cares if you have a soul? Uh, and this is also one of the points where I was like, oh yeah, a Mormon woman wrote these books. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like this seems so concerned with this element of the soullessness for a movie that ostensibly is about like teenagers in love, but I guess that makes sense if that's where your priorities lied. Edward drives Bella home, but in her car, uh, and she's like, "You can't protect me from everything because I'm a human and I'm gonna die someday. It'll be like an accident or something." And he, you have to make me a vampire. This is the third time we're having this conversation in the first thirty minutes of the movie. Literally. 
Bella's like really hung up on him not wanting to be with her when she's a grandmother. She's got this anxiety about aging when he doesn't. And he's like, don't worry. And she's like, look, it's it's my birthday. Can I get one thing from you? I just want a little smooch. And they have their second unconvincing kiss of the movie. Oh, literally, that one and was more <laughs> painful than the first. Exactly. Because they, they like 80 yard moans in, but it just sort of sounds like they're in physical pain. <laughs> well, if you look at Edward... He looks like he's in physical pain, which I know is supposed to be the point, that it pains him to be near her. But I really think they could have dialed it back just a little. Just a little bit. Just a smidge. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's pulling off what you think it's pulling off, movie. I think they just look like they're (laughs) in distress. Uh, and later at night, Bella prints out some of the photos that she took and folds one of herself and Edward so that only Edward's visible. And then she tapes the photo that she folded over directly to a desk. I don't know why. I mean, like, I, I, not say, like, I also thought that that was strange. And then I was like, do you see millions of books in her room? She's got all that clutter, honestly. And I was like, and you literally have nowhere to tape this photo except for directly onto your desk? Yeah, like, put it on the wall behind your desk so that you can see it at eye level. Put it in a frame, maybe. You're not living, you're not roughing it in the woods. You're in a fork. A well, town, she a is always forks. looking down. She does she like, to look, down, <laughs> she does so. like to look at a downward angle, <laughs> so I suppose it would be in her, her line of sight if she put it directly onto a flat surface. <laughs> I'll give her that. Yeah. Uh, and and sort of like some sad music picks up as uh, Bella goes back to school the next day and notices that Edward's not there. Where he is? Her room. Unfolding said photo that she just taped down last scene. Uh, to <laughs> Right? But that's that's his thing. He loved to do that. He loved it. He watched her sleep the whole first movie. <laughs> Every night he loved to sneak into her room. Um, so at least... They're being consistent with his character. (laughs) I guess. I just wish that they would (laughs) save their payoffs for later in the movie instead of blowing them all one scene later. They've done it like twice at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. That I feel like the writers just get so excited. Like they have something (laughs) they want you to know and then they start to write it and then they just get too excited and they have to tell you about it the very next scene. There's no element of secrecy. They're just all about it. Bella gets home to find Edward waiting on her lawn and they go for a walk in the woods. He explains that his family has to leave Forks because Carlisle doesn't look old enough. People are starting to notice that he's like not aging at the rate they are expecting. Uh, and I know that this is probably from the books and all, but it was weird to me that they had the whole scene where Jasper almost ate Bella and they weren't using that as the reason that the Cullens were leaving. You know, that is an excellent point. I feel like that would have been way better much more believable. Because yeah, we haven't seen any evidence of anyone noticing that they're not aging. Like, there hasn't been any, like, human characters like, man, Carlisle, you look great for your age. There wasn't even, like, a throwaway line for that. But there's been so That's much content what... about Bella being human and Edward not that I'm like, well, why don't you just make that the conflict then? You know, the funny thing is, way later, um, they're, like, talking about it, too. She's like... E- you left me. You said you didn't want me. And he's like, I lied. And I thought that that would have been a great time for him to be like, yeah, I kind of lied about the whole thing. We'll move back. But he like, it was pretty clear he only meant that he lied about not wanting her. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it just it's such a strange reason that is incongruous with all of the other conflicts that this movie explores because it basically like it, it ties in, I guess, to Bella's anxiety about aging while the Cullens don't. But it's not really played for that at all in this scene. Like, she basically is just like, oh, I'm going with you then. I can, you know, tell Charlie some excuse. And also she only calls her dad Charlie, which, again, their relationship is weird. Strange. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, Edward's like, no, am I, by we, I meant my family. You're staying in Forks. You don't belong in my world. Yada, yada, yada sort of speech. And, and I just, I feel like that that could have been either explored more to make that more of a conflict in this movie. Or like you said, they should have tied it back later to Edward not being entirely truthful with her because right now it just sort of feels like we need an excuse to get the Collins to leave so that they exit the movie for the next hour or so here is the reason we're giving so strange because they've been like beating us down with these themes Mm -hmm. and then there's a perfect moment and then the writers forget after being so overly excited about everything else. God, we had to listen to so much mediocre Shakespeare recitation and now you're forgetting that you have <laughs> set up things before. The The fundamental misunderstanding of what set up and payoff are in this movie maybe makes me the most irrationally angry of anything about it. <laughs> um, yeah, Edward basically like, it just says he doesn't want her to come with them. She interprets that as I don't want you. And basically they're breaking up 20 min- minutes into a two hour runtime of the movie. He makes her promise not to do anything reckless and promises that he'll never see her again so that she can get on with her life, which she's not happy about. Um, but because everyone expresses movie emotions, of this movie through da- gastrointestinal discomfort, she just sort of like looks really constipated and stumbles through the yeah. woods after he leaves. Uh <laughs> And then runs after him afterwards. Yeah. Knowing she, like, full well he's a vampire. <laughs> she like roams the woods deep at night, allows herself to fall to the ground and just sort of like stays there as she like shivers on the ground, I guess falls asleep in the woods uh, because later like spooky breathing picks up and a set of eyes look out from the forest and a shirtless bod starts carrying Bella through the woods. <laughs> I kind of loved that part too because they didn't show us who was carrying her they just showed abs they're just like here is a close up of Bella next to some abs and they kept that up the whole walk back out and then even when they're like Bella Bella we like literally don't get to see Sam until he's like right up in the camera yeah, he, he so Sam, as we learned, walks out of the woods holding Bella as Charlie and a bunch of the, the men of the town are looking for her because, again, she fell asleep alone in the woods at night. Like, her her dad was worried about her. Fair. Sam is like, here she is. And then he and Jacob exchange knowing looks together. as And we kind of cut to the beginning of Bella's depressive episode where she sort of stays moping in her room as the months roll by. She's writing letters to Alice in her mind, uh which Alice is not responding to. And she says the line, the absence of him is everywhere I look, which just, God. Bella loves her poetry, though. I gotta give her that. She's, just go to, like, an open mic night. Don't email one person 50 times a day. <laughs> Wait, there and are the, outlets the thing for is, about the Cullens is they're not dead. She knows they're not yeah. dead. They just moved. So why is all her mail being undelivered? Like, did they block her? I know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get, like, Edward not wanting to see her because his whole, like, 
not seeing you is going to be like harder than seeing you sort of thing. But like her and Alice are just bros. Why can't you just talk to Alice still? Yeah, I thought that was so strange. And then, you know, her whole depressive episode and they're like swinging around the room. They go in a circle. Mm -hmm. She's in the same spot. Um, ma'am, I know (laughs) that you did not sit in that chair the entire time. You got up at least once or twice. Why is her bed exactly the same every single time? That's the part that got me. I was like, nothing on her bed has moved. You mean to tell me that you slept in that chair? You never moved for how many months? Six months? Yeah, they go through, I think, like, three or four in the the spinning around sequence. And then it just sort of continues on through time as the movie progresses. Yeah, that sequence is, like, five minutes long. It's crazy. For for what? It's so long for no reason. (laughs) So much of this movie is just shots that are far too long for what they're doing. There's a lot of, like, establishing shots of the same shot of forks. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's (laughs) lots of forest, cliffs. Woods that go through, uh, roads that go through the forest. We got it. We don't need more establishing shots of forks. And this is another good example where it's like, okay, we're spinning around. It's going very slowly. Nothing in the background's really changing except for what the view through her window is. So maybe we could speed up the rotation on that camera a little bit well, just to move us through this. that's what's weird about it. Like, it's supposed to establish, like, the passage of time, right? And you don't want to mm-hmm. actually sit there for four months. So they make it a little speedier. But then it's so horribly slow I was like I don't I feel like you you missed the mark on your own goal yeah it it doesn't really serve the purpose they're trying to have it serve and because they're moving so slowly too you notice the background isn't changing so it doesn't have as much impact as it could because if it's going a little bit faster stuff would be blurring be harder to pick out that the bed was the same every time uh and then more focus would be on the actual passage of time but no no they're moving super slowly 10 lamps in her room (laughs) and none of them are ever on none the only ones she turns on the string lights yeah and then she's just got 40 million lamps (laughs) what about the (laughs) ambiance laura she's going for some aesthetic choices but she's not having great uh ambiance in her dream she's mostly having nightmares and she sort of like stops sitting with her friends at lunch to instead sit at the cullen's old table and stare into the rain dramatically And after uh, presumably months of this, her dad finally is like, girl, you can't keep doing this. You're going to Florida with your to stay with your mom for a while. And Bella's like, I don't want to leave Forks. And her dad is very realistically like, look, Edward's not coming back and your behavior isn't normal at all. You're not seeing your friends like you need a change. This is not healthy. Uh, And she makes up a lie that she's going shopping with Jessica the next day. But she follows through on it. And gets in her trusty truck and takes off to hit the town with Jessica, one of the uh, friends from the beginning of the movie. As I'm sure we all remember, all their unique and distinct personalities. <laughs> Jessica is the one played by Anna Kendrick. That's what makes her memorable. And honestly, kind of love Jessica. <laughs> right? She had some. She, so they go to see a zombie movie. And as they're leaving, Jessica is making some very engrossing conversation about the movie and its themes. And I was like, Jessica seems like an excellent movie going companion. Bella, why aren't you responding at all? <laughs> Uh, and as they as they leave the theater, they get sh- like leered at by some motorcyclists, some bikers who are shouting at them to come over and go for a ride with them from like a whole block down. Right. And I was like, oh, you do know the people who had super hearing left. Yeah. Right. Like Bella um, is just a human. And Jessica, while a very lovely person, is also just a human. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and as these bikers leer at her, Bella sort of gets visions of like the danger of motorcycling and sees this like spectral vision of Edward warn her to keep walking. Uh, and getting a, a glimpse of her, her lost lover, Bella is like, oh, oh, maybe if I put myself, if I, if I go towards these guys, I'll see him more. And she says, to, she tells Jessica that she thinks she knows them and starts walking towards the bikers as Edward's like ghost visions keep appearing in front of her to warn her away. Um, one of the bikers then proceeds to hit on this child, Bella, who is again um, right. a teenager. Uh, and this man is well, clearly old. Like this, look, I don't know. Well, if it... she just turned eighteen. Ugh. She just—that's what Ugh. the big birthday was. Good old She's eighteen now, fresh no. out the cradle. No. Because uh, this actor looks like he's got to be like 40. <laughs> I don't know if that was just a, a poor casting decision or what, but this guy, I'm like, you are, you are far too old for her. Father age, yeah. Yeah, you gotta, gotta chill, man. I mean, she's already got one 40 to 50 year old roommate. What's another one? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> and Bella decides to ride on the motorbike with him, the strange man who will never be named, and they, they set off. Bella having now abandoned Jessica, hitting the road. Um, as they ride, Bella sees the Edwards ghost and eventually like makes the biker stop and returns to Jessica on this this beginning of her getting a taste for being an adrenaline junkie in order to see Edward. Uh, and Jessica, who is genuinely like, you can't just go over to random bikers and like go for joy rides with them. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Which is pretty sound and reasonable. Yeah, again, I like Charlie, Jessica, most of Bella's human friends generally like, oh, okay, I I understand. You may you have a very like human response to the situation. It's Bella who's the weird one, and it's very important that we point that out because the movie <laughs> tries so hard to convince us otherwise. <laughs> Bella, realizing that as an adrenaline junkie, she gets to see Edward when she puts herself in danger, heads to the res where we get the line that I know I was waiting for, and I don't know if you guys were all waiting for it, but it <laughs> but I sure was. Um, Jacob rolls out from behind a shed and as he's running out, he says, Bella, where the hell have you been, loca? <laughs> loca. Loca. <laughs> Bella. Not to mention, not to mention, Jacob has never greeted her like this before, ever. Not a was. <laughs> I guess they said the last night was too heavy. We gotta lighten the mood some. I guess. Okay, this is, I feel like, because this is the beginning. New Moon is really the Jacob movie of the Twilight movies, and then Twilight is obviously the Edward movie, and then after that it's sort of just, like, ambient vampire problems. This is the one where we get to experience, like, Jacob as a potential romantic partner, and I feel like I would be remiss if we did a podcast about this and didn't bring up, like, were you Team Edward or Team Jacob when you were first experiencing these, these movies and books? Oh, okay. Well, wait. So the thing is, I watched the movies first, and in the movies, I was Team Jacob. Mm -hmm. But that's because Edward was weird in the first movie. <laughs> Completely weird. Just acted like such a weirdo. And then in the second movie, he was gone. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you just have this, like, loving friend who's like, hey, these vampires kill people, and... My the whole point of my family being here in our tribe is literally just to protect everyone. So it's like, oh, like Jacob is this loving, caring friend mm -hmm. who has now developed a crush on Bella for some strange reason. <laughs> but then 
when you read the books, Edward is actually like a really caring boyfriend. He's like actually amazing. <laughs> and then Jacob is like weirdly possessive for no reason mm -hmm. and she makes it like super super clear like oh dude we're just friends we've been best friends we're just friends and he's just like kind of this possessive psycho who keeps getting in the middle of her relationship yeah so books team edward movies taylor lautner all the way oh oh yeah taylor lautner all the way maybe <laughs> shark boy himself are you kidding me <laughs> literally uh. <laughs> yeah I, I would agree with you and i feel like that really highlights a lot because what the books sort of swap who is the strange one in the Bella Edward Jacob triangle where Edward is and Bella actually have some semblance of like a relationship that makes sense in the books in the movies I'm like you guys just have no chemistry I don't understand why you have such a deep relationship immediately upon meeting each other and then Bella shows up with Jacob I'm like oh look at these old friends look at them bonding together hanging out what are you doing girl taylor lautner's right in right? front of you <laughs> it makes so much more sense when you see them together in the movies mm -hmm. and i don't know like jacob just comes off as like the more caring option like i everything about edward's behavior is so like odd yeah that it doesn't come off as him being a caring boyfriend like them knowing that victoria will one day want to come after Bella and then deciding to ditch her. Um, right. And they go where? All the way to Italy? Well, Edward and... ends up in Rio for some reason. Because <laughs> if you look right. at the background of the shot he's in later, there's like the giant I'm... statue of Jesus in the background. I was like, why are you in Rio de Janeiro? What are you doing? <laughs> I saw the beach and the trees and the water and I was like, where is he? Yeah, But you, you flee, first of all, to Rio. Yeah. <laughs> you go take a nice vacation. And you leave her behind. Yeah. Functionally defenseless. Because it's not like they were like, hey, go find these werewolves. They'll protect you. They just left. Literally. And the only, the only reason why there's even more werewolves is because Victoria and Laurent and all of her people keep popping up. And it's forcing the change. Yeah. That, like, that's literally how it happens. Vampires move in, and then they start to change because they need a defense mechanism. So it's not even like there were werewolves there already in place to protect them. It was like, no. Vampires besides the Cullens started coming in to potentially kill Bella. And now there's a protection system being formed, but these are just teenage boys who don't know what they're doing. Oh my god, it's so frustrating. But we, uh, Bella does not know any of this yet. She just wants Jacob to help her fix a pair of dirt bikes that she found um, and Jacob's like, yeah, I'll help you fix it up. And so, and, as, <laughs> and to show off, I guess, how strong Jacob has gotten since the last movie, he picks up one of the bikes with his hands and just like lifts it out of the bed of the truck on his own. <laughs> and Bella, never one to let anything fly by unremarked, says like, you're 16. How did you get that buff? To which Jacob is like, age is just a number, baby. What are you, like, 40? And I'm like, wait, why are you being weird about age? You're you're, the, you're roughly the same age. Neither oh of you is immortal. What are you doing? Age is just a number, baby. Shut up, Jacob. Oh, sometimes those lines out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. I feel like the first movie was by far, like, the best for that if you want just like hilarious out of context lines but this one has some bangers I, especially like early jacob lines there's some great 
great out of context dialogue. Bella and Jacob get to the garage to get to fixing, which means that uh, Jacob gets to fixing while Bella sort of just supervises. Uh, and he has music on, but she's like, I don't like music anymore. So they turn it off. <laughs> uh, and they sort of like quip sort of back and forth as they're fixing stuff until Jacob's boys roll up and start making fun of him about like Bella not actually being his girlfriend. And then they start roughhousing and the so begins Bella's new normal with this boisterous gang of lads. Uh, <laughs> I do kind of love the werewolf squad. <laughs> Wait, the thing is, I like them, but they're kind of also dicks. Yeah, totally. Completely. And, like, there's a bunch of times where I'll be like, oh, yeah, like, they're so adorable. And then later I'll be like, that was a dick move. And completely uncalled for. (laughs) Yeah, I think I like that they're dicks because the Cullens are also kind of assholes sometimes, but they never get to be called out on it. Whereas every almost every time like the Wolf Squad does something a little bit dickish, someone else in the scene is like, "Yo, what you doing? Get get your head out of your ass!" Like true, and And I appreciate that they get held to it. Yeah, and they're lively, and I'm like, "Oh, you you feel like real real characters, like (laughs) real people that I would not be immediately like." running from if i saw you in real life whereas the columns would be like that they're doing some i don't know what especially they're doing. the they're stairs doing stuff especially the stairs oh like all god. the cullens do is like sit there and stare quietly oh my god it's so so unnerving it's so unsettling. they're just like the weirdest rich people you ever met and i'm like i don't need that in my life <laughs> <laughs> wolf boys i'm like okay you're kind of assholes but like if you give asshole energy back at them you're fine like you know just meet them at their level but Bella continues to to write to Alice and she's like, Jacob makes me feel a little better. She starts to to fill the hole in my heart. And it's like, yeah, girl, you had a high school boyfriend and now you're moving on to another high school boyfriend. It's true. They weren't even dating for very long either. No. She's just obsessive. It's kind of strange, actually. Yeah, it's her and Edward both are just like way too into this relationship that's existed for a fraction of both of their lifetimes. <laughs> J- <laughs> As they continue to have conversations, Jacob, like, sort of begins to unravel what's up with Bella. And he's like, yo, what's up with you and age? Which, like, me too, dude. <laughs> I would also be asking her that if my one of my very young friends kept stressing out about her aging, I guess. Uh, and Yeah, just, and you're literally 18. You yeah, just turned 18. You're not even out of high school yet. No. Got your whole life ahead of you, girl. Um, but despite her her new her new bro, she still has the nightmares. And during one such night terror, Charlie asks if hanging out with Jacob is helping her to take her mind off of things. And he's like, you know, sometimes you just have to learn to love what's good for you. Which I think is supposed to be like the naysaying of the movie. You know, I think it's supposed to be Charlie trying to give Bella the idea that maybe she can move on from Edward and we're supposed to be against that as viewers. But I was kind of on Charlie's side. I'm like, no, he's right. Like... <laughs> Edward kind of sucks. <laughs> Jacob seems to be good for you. Like, you're having a good time. Move on, girl. It, You know, the thing is, I could never tell, like, what they were going for sometimes when they wrote Charlie's lines because everybody loved Charlie. They were like, is he a very hands-off, no-contact dad? Yeah, maybe. But every time he has a line, it's usually golden a lot mm-hmm. of his lines pretty golden he doesn't even talk to his daughter much <laughs> he makes it count he makes it count <laughs> but a lot of them are pretty golden even in the future movies he'll have like three lines and one of them was gold <laughs> yeah i mean i think that what helps is that charlie is kind of the pov character for the audience 
but he's not supposed to be but he ends up being because he has the most I, I would say the closest to like a real world understanding of how interpersonal relationships typically work and so whenever he says something that points out like a weird bit in Bella and Edward's relationship as an audience member I was like oh I'm so glad that someone said it because this has been <laughs> bugging me for a while. And I think that that's part of why I think people tend to like Charlie so much is that not only is he a decent father fi- figure for this kind of fiction, but also he, he sort of becomes an audience surrogate character in a lot of ways. That makes sense. That was very mm-hmm. filmic of you. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I try very hard throughout the many episodes of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, later, Bella and Jacob are driving with their new bikes to go ride them in Bella's truck, chatting about how Jacob kind of wants to spend more time with her. Uh, he's like, you know, I really enjoyed fixing these up with you, and maybe I should have dragged it out more. And Bella's like, we can still hang out. And I'm like, aww. Uh, and as they they drive, they drive past the uh, one cliff in Forks where Sam and his boys are cliff jumping. Bella like immediately pulls over. She's like clearly in a rush to go help them, and Jacob's like, "No, no, they're they're doing that intentionally. It's it's a it's a rush. It's kind of dangerous, but it's all for fun." Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, I I, I don't know. I kind of have a little beef with them. They sort of act like they run the place." And he's like, "He Sam seems to attract the Res kids who start following him around like a bunch of little puppies." And I was like, "Movie, you don't get to throw a puppy line out there. You haven't earned that yet." And he's been giving Jacob some weird looks lately. Yeah. Okay, so this is the thing. When the wolf pack first gets introduced, it's, like, very lively and lighthearted. Mm-hmm. And then, like, some point in the movie, it, like, shifts to this, like, weird, sinister thing. Yeah. And I'm like, how did we get here? Right? Especially because, like, it, the shift seems to be Jacob joining them. And it, it, it makes it put some, like, weird connotations. I'm like... But Jacob's character didn't, like, fundamentally change all that much after he joined the wolf pack. Like, he got a little bit more emo, but that seems to be a, a, a hazard of being a supernatural creature in this universe, so... And it really just seemed like he got, like, more busy, mm-hmm. and then Bella was like, er, <laughs> Like, <laughs> like... Th- it, like, because then every time they, like, hang out or see each other, like, she, like, has to make a point to comment on. Actually, she doesn't do this to Edward or, like, literally any other character, but every single time she sees Jacob, if anything has changed, if anything's different, if anything's happened, she has to comment on it. Yes. She has to, like, make some sort of jab at him. It's like, just let him live, girl. <laughs> he's just... Like, he's she does like, it for everything. Oh, boy. new hair. Whoa. New hair. Yeah, literally, every time he changes. <laughs> Hello, abs. <laughs> and then she makes a steroids joke yes i was like that's kind of rude yeah like i'm sorry like do you know how to have friends have you clearly not which absolutely not i I literally don't know why jessica sticks around all the way through to senior year don't know why she does that no idea whatsoever. Jessica starts to give her some weird looks in this movie, which I really was like, oh, Jessica's Jessica's sus, but uh, but we're not quite there yet. Um, Bella and Jacob go and get the bikes ready for a test drive. Jacob's trying to like talk her through doing a, a slow and easy one, but the vision of Edward freaks her out and she takes off speeding down the dirt path as more visions of Edward rush by. Not wearing a helmet, very irresponsible. Uh, and then she ends up hitting a rock or something and falls and slant like ragdolls right into a waiting rock <laughs> like she like wraps around as she hits it <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Like just the they most... love to jerk and toss Bella around this whole... I they were like, know. you're going to recognize that she is fragile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Jacob's like, Bella. And he gets on the other bike to go over to where she is, even though she's like well within running away. distance. Yeah, yeah she yeah. did not make it very far down this road. It would almost be faster for him to have just started running rather than to have <laughs> gotten on the bike, started it up, driven it over, stopped the bike and gotten off. Bella is bleeding the fakest looking blood ever from her head. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it was just like a red paint streak streak. It didn't even have any texture to it. It's great. None. Not a one. Uh, for a movie about vampires, you'd think they'd have better blood effects, but no. Um, Bella, uh, uh, Jacob's like, no big deal, girl, I got you. And then he takes off his shirt to use it as a rag while Bella dead eye stares at him and tells him he's beautiful. Mouth <laughs> hanging open. <laughs> I don't even know if that line was in the script or if Kristen Stewart just got distracted by Taylor Lautner for a second and they were like, we're keeping this. Yeah, they're like, oh, that's gold. That's good. That's good, baby. We're using that. (laughs) Write it into the rewrites. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I just, this will begin pretty much Jacob's continual uh, status of not being allowed to wear a shirt for more than two minutes in any given scene in this movie. Um, oh, oh! In the series, in the series, for the entire rest of the saga, <laughs> Jacob is shirtless. The, even this movie, I respect on a few levels. Um, one is that they, while they commit to making Jacob be shirtless most of the time, they also kind of try to do that for Edward at the end, and it does not have the same effect <laughs> at all. <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. Uh, Bella attempts to the next day make the bold choice of sitting with her friends again at lunch as they all sort of talk about like again the background chatter of this movie people have been seeing some sort of strange creatures out in the woods but as she sits down everyone goes like quiet and awkward before turning it around and the one uh, dude whose name I can't remember but is one of the, the friend squad immediately after she rejoins them is like oh time to hit on Bella uh, and asks her to go to a movie with him Bella tries to make it like a group thing to go see Face Punch, a very violent movie. And Jessica's like, yeah, we'll totally go along with that. Oh, yeah. What was the other movie, too? Love spelled backwards is love. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my new dream career. It's person who makes up fake movie titles for for other movies and TV shows. (laughs) It just seems so fun. It seems like you could do do anything. Anything you want. those were pretty good movie titles not gonna lie i was like nice nice i can imagine what those movies are like exactly like i understand all the information i needed from just those two titles uh (laughs) at the movie only jacob and the guy who asked her out (laughs) show up (laughs) Mm. uh mike i think his name is i don't know um right (laughs) the awkwardness is palpable uh, in the theater, Bella is sitting in between <laughs> Jacob and Mike. Jacob seeming to be the only one who's having a good time based on his facial expression. And both boys have their hands sitting on their seats, waiting for Bella to decide to hold it. <laughs> Guys, literally in hand-holding position. <laughs> like, they're at the ready. They're Subtlety like, oh, is excellent. not their strong suit. Not even a little bit. Uh, but eventually, Mike gets really sick from all the violence and has to run out of the theater. Jacob and Bella are then waiting for him to get out of the bathroom later. And he's like, Bella, you got to hold out for someone who's got a stronger stomach, like a real man. And then he starts to hold her hand, but she makes it weird. Jacob's like, 
do you like me? And she's like, I do, but please don't do this, which doesn't seem like the response he wanted. And she's just like, you're going to ruin everything. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll wait. I'll wait for you. He doesn't wait for her. Spoiler alert at all. No, never. Um, Jacob's like, I get it. It's because of your ex, but I won't hurt you like he did. And she's like about to cry into his shoulder before Barf Boy comes out of the bathroom and declares that he thinks he needs to go home, which prompts Jacob to get weirdly aggressive before leaving. (laughs) (laughs) What a strange scene we've watched. (laughs) Is like, I think based on the books, he's supposed to come off like more possessive and it's supposed to be which makes sense like wolf marking his territory mm-hmm. and it's supposed to like be a bit more off-putting yeah. so that you lean more into the bella edward but he's mostly like really kind and understanding and caring and he's like supportive and there for her and then there's like these occasional weird moments where they remember that we're supposed to like edward more mm-hmm. And it just, like, never fits. It always, like, seems so strange. Like, we're looking at a completely different person for, like, two seconds. Yeah, the Jacob's lines of dialogue and his actions are just two completely different characters. Like, he always says the right thing, but then he gets weirdly aggressive or just, like, seems super angsty about, like, and possessive in his, his actions. And it's just a, it's a, like you said, it's a weird disconnect. It makes it hard to tell, like, who am I rooting for watching this movie? Because it's never Bella, realistically. Oh, never. Um, She's got the best of both worlds, honestly. And she she acts like she doesn't. I'm like, you have two men, two beautiful men fawning over you. You know, and this isn't relevant to this movie. Not too much because the Cullens disappear. But that's part of why Rosalie hates her so much. She's like, you're human, you've got the best life, all the men want you, and you're over here moping and crying and whining. You know, Rosalie... Rosalie's like, I wish I was you, and you're crying. <laughs> I do. I have to respect her. I'm like, you know what? You know what you're about. You have a very um, understandable worldview, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that your younger brother keeps getting dragging you into his high school romance nonsense. <laughs> Um, later on, Charlie's watching some sports because he's a sports dad, as Bella calls Jacob, who she can't seem to reach because apparently he has mono. Uh, and she she goes off for a drive and and sees a <laughs> and and she shows up to the res and <laughs> the rain machine in this scene is working overtime. <laughs> it's putting in the effort. It is downpouring straight down from the sky and like. <laughs> I know that rain can fall directly downwards, but usually it's got a bit of an angle because of the wind. So the fact that this rain was just like a shower head was so funny to me. Um, <laughs> everyone in this scene is drenched. And as Bella arrives, she sees a now shirtless, tattooed, short-haired Jacob walking away through the rain. Uh, she calls out to him and he's like, she's like, yo, you, why did you ghost me? And he's like, go away, Bella. <laughs> she doesn't. And brings up Sam, which makes Jacob go after the Cullens and confront Bella about the Cullens being vampires uh, before he gets called away by a group of shirtless youths. And he's like, Bella, we can't be friends anymore. And Bella is just like, give me time before Jacob's like pulls it. It's not you. It's me. And spits out the line. I'm not good. (laughs) (laughs) After Charlie just tried to be like, 
You know who'd be good for you? Jacob. <laughs> mm-hmm. So basically, Bella's having her second breakup conversation in the movie, except she was never technically in this relationship to begin with. Uh, but Bella does say that, like, she's like, you can't break up with me, and then corrects herself to saying, like, because you're my best friend. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't get to... <laughs> you don't get to have it both ways. Another day. Like, the time in this movie basically just passes and that the scene will end, and now it's a new day because the weather's different. <laughs> Which they do a lot, actually. So much. And it's always shots of Bella walking through the woods because Bella starts walking through the woods again on a different day because it's not raining anymore. Imagining herself with Edward in, like, the wildflower field, but the field when she arrives is all crispy and dried up because the seasons have changed, you feel? It's no longer spring. (laughs) (laughs) But she takes it to be all dramatic. Uh, and she Bella, Well, that's because she spent the whole time in her room, remember? That's true. She wouldn't have noticed the passing of seasons being locked up in her chambers. <laughs> <laughs> Bella takes the opportunity to squat down and feel some of the grass in the field before seeing a man standing in the distance. It's Laurent, one of the vampires in the previous movie. He says that he went to see the Cullens, but they're not here anymore. And Laurent starts getting all sus uh, as about where they went as Bella's like lies badly and the specter of Edward chides her for lying badly. He's like, lie better. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) That got me because I was like, okay, we can assume that the specter is in her head. Mm -hmm. Right. When it's some form of psychosis. Right. And when she gets really, excited when her adrenaline is pumping whether that's like good excitement bad excitement whenever her heart rate goes up he appears in what world does your like formal psychosis like tell you to lie (laughs) and then and then and then chastise you for lying badly i know it's a it's the strangest most combative internal monologue (laughs) Uh, but uh, Laurent explains that he's here as a favor for Victoria because, as we mentioned earlier, you know, uh, Edward killed Victoria's mate. So in exchange, he, he's going to kill Edward's girlfriend, uh, eye for an eye sort of thing. Um, and Laurent is about to kill her. But then a big ass wolf and some friends walk on out of the woods to come to her defense. Gee, wonder what these could be. <laughs> Uh, Laurent flees and gets, as the wolves give chase, except for one unusually like orange one, which looks at Bella a bunch before joining the hunt. This is directly uh, in the eye. Directly Direct in the eye. eye we contact. see her reflection yeah. in the wolf's eye. And it's CGI. It's like the eye. one time that she's not looking down either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they go off to fight as Bella flees. She runs from the woods and tells her dad that she saw huge wolves out there. And he seems a little skeptical, but decides to plan a hunt while his friend, uh, Harry Clearwater, who clearly knows what's going on, is like, I will come along on this hunt as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bella, now home alone and nervous about Victoria, is feeling unprotected uh, before a a rock hitting her window rouses her. It's Jacob, who parkours his way up to her room. Uh, (laughs) He... They, when they have him jump onto the side of the house and then onto tree branches, they add like a whoosh sound effect after all of his jumps. I did note, I was like, this is the most dramatic parkour I've ever seen. But it gave me like flashbacks to like Sharkboy and Lava Girl. I was like, I love it. Oh my goodness, there he goes again (laughs) with his martial arts. His little little hops. Oh man, what a a, a fun time. (laughs) 
he he starts apologizing to her, but he's like, I can't explain what I'm apologizing for. And while talking, he spots the scars on her wrist from where she was attacked by vampires before. And he asks if she remembers a story that he told her in a previous movie. So audience, for those of you who, like me, haven't watched the previous movie in a while, you may also have forgotten that he already seeded the idea of werewolves existing. Uh, and she's like, I remember your story about the cold ones. See, vampires. But she doesn't remember the rest of the story. And Jacob is like, you gotta, you gotta remember. You gotta remember, because I can't tell you. But if you remember, then you'll know. Uh, and Bella's like, what if the two of us just leave Forks? And Jacob's like, I can't run away. Not from this. <laughs> <laughs> And then they hug it off before Jacob runs off into the woods again. Oh, you forgot the part where he'd be like, you'd do that? You'd do that for me? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'd do it for you. Oh, my God. Oh. And, then, and then they sit there, like, awkwardly. Yes. Like, it, like, just sits in the air. Like, she's like, I'd do it for you. And then they, and then they marinate in it. And then he goes, but we can't. <laughs> <laughs> they, all of Jacob and Bella's scenes are like, in any other movie, this would be the beginning of a romantic relationship, but because you have to end up saving Edward at the end, we can't let that progress. So we're just going to marinate in how awkward it is after every even semi-romantic line. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so uncomfortable. Um, that night, Bella has a dream about Jacob's old story about being descended from wolves, and she goes to visit Jacob's dad the next day, asking to see him, busting in on her buddy, like, passed out in bed in the middle of the day, while the rest of the pack, like, walks up to the house, Bella goes to confront the boys, slapping Paul, who turns into a wolf. Um, Wait, this is the part where I was like, hmm, you guys are really being dicks. Yeah, this was the one scene where I was like, hey, guys, this seems... What y'all doing? Because, like, clearly like, Bella knows some shit. You have this human running up to you who you know doesn't know about you because Sam literally ordered it. Mm -hmm. So you all know that she doesn't know. She thinks that there's something wrong with Jacob because suddenly he's acting emo like he's a prisoner. <laughs> and then instead of just telling her, oh, like, hey, like, nothing's wrong. We've all just been hanging out more, going out at night, spending more time together. Like, it would be really easy for them to explain this away. Right. And be like, we're just a couple of dudes all hanging out. Just right? But instead... Dead, they're huge dicks about it. Yeah. Paul's a whole asshole about it. And then when she slaps him, they all just stand there and let him wolf out on her. Yeah. Paul like goes full wolf and it looks like he's about to like attack Bella until Jacob runs out, now awake, I guess, and changes into a wolf himself mid mid jump, and they begin to like dogfight a bunch, rolling off <laughs> Fighting so much that they roll off screen into the woods. <laughs> While the rest of them stand back and laugh about it. That, yeah. like, that's what was weird about it. Paul like turned in Bella's face. And then the rest are just standing there laughing at it. And Sam's like, oh, don't. But he's like half-ass. Yeah. Like trying to keep it from happening. Mm-hmm. Sam. And then they disappear. They disappear off screen to go rumble, I guess. Uh, Sam tells the boys to take Bella to Emily's place. And then one of them says the line, another line that the movie has not earned, the wolf's out of the bag. <laughs> Followed by, come on in, Bella. We won't bite. Oh, God. <laughs> Speak for yourself, the other one responds. <laughs> Literally. Uh, before she enters, one of the boys is like, Yo, don't stare at Emily uh, because she has a scar on her face and Sam doesn't like when people stare at her. 
Uh, and the boys in, kind of give some werewolf lore to Bella here. They're like, okay, well, we have to obey the alpha, who's Sam. And also we can, like, telepathically talk to each other. Um, cool. Wait, but that's that's what makes it worse. Is that, I don't know, they were just such dicks that whole time. Because they know what happened to Emily. And for those of you who haven't seen or d- don't know... Emily got that scar because Sam got mad while they were fighting. He turned into a wolf and took out a chunk of her face with him on his way down. That's why Emily has that scar, which they all know. Bella doesn't, though. But Mm -hmm. you can kind of infer, oh, that's Sam's girlfriend. Sam gets upset when you look at her scar. Gee, I wonder why. Does it have anything to do with... a strangely claw-shaped scar she seems to have. Surely this could... You know. Does this have anything to do with the wolf-related anger issues? Yeah, and honestly. And then, so then for them to egg Seth on when he, like, or not Seth, Paul, when they, like, egg Paul on getting mad at Bella, like, everything about that was so weird. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, did you want him to hurt her? And why is this cute to you after seeing what's happened to Emily? Yeah, it feels like the aggressiveness of a lot of the wolves is just the story trying to convince us to not root for them as much as the Cullens, because... It does feel like up to this point, they've been at least somewhat more entertaining to watch interact with each other and with Bella. And like they're they are more relatable characters to a point. Uh, No one in this movie is super relatable, but but comparatively. And then the Cullens are just so aloof and unnerving that it's it's hard to really be like, I'm rooting for them because they just seem like they should be the villains in a lot of senses. And so they I feel like the aggression and the strangeness of a lot of the wolves is just an attempt by the story to be like, no, actually, don't root for them more than you root for the Cullens. You got to be more invested in the vampires because they're they're the ultimate heroes of the story. And I'm like, I just I don't buy it. I'm sorry. Right. And then they go back to being completely relatable and adorable again. Yeah. It's like, okay, movie. I I don't know what you're doing, but it's not working. As the uh, Bella and the lads and Emily chat at the cabin a bit, uh, Jacob, Sam, and Paul roll back up, and Jacob and Bella go for a walk. Uh, Bella's, like, seems to think that... Oh, you that... forgot Paul's, like, half-ass sorry, too. Oh. He, like, smirks and shrugs his shoulder and then goes back to yeah. eating. Paul. <laughs> it's like, like, wow, that was shady. What you doing, Paul? Get your shit together. Bella, while talking to Jacob, seems to think that being a werewolf is a lifestyle choice, and Jacob admonishes her. He's like, no, this is not a lifestyle choice. <laughs> And he explains that, like, him and the wolves aren't the one killing in the woods. They're only there to fight the vampires. And that they actually ran into Victoria the other day. And that they had to keep chasing her out, even running her all the way to the Canadian border. But they can't figure out what she keeps coming back for. And Bella's like, oh, I know what she's after. It's me. So that evening, Jacob drops Bella off at home. And he's like, your pack's got you covered before jogging off into the woods once again. Literally, everything about that was so nonchalant. Just he just turns and he in a light jog heads off into the woods. Um, Bella, left to her own devices, gets emo and decides that she's gonna go cliff jumping. Meanwhile, so now we begin a sequence where three things are happening simultaneously. Thing number one, Bella is going to go cliff jumping. Thing number two, Charlie and the boys are out hunting the wolves. Thing number three is um, Victoria will then get chased by the wolves. So Victoria kind of watches Charlie and Co. as they're out hunting and she like spooks 
uh, Harry Clearwater, who I guess has a heart attack and falls to the floor, which is when Jacob and the wolves roll up and start chasing Victoria through the woods. Eventually, uh, Victoria jumps off a cliff into the sea. uh, And after she does, Bella, who is still fully clothed, although she does stop to take off her light jacket, also jumps (laughs) into the sea from the top of a cliff. I just see, I'm like, if you're going to the top of a cliff, in Washington, in the winter, like, it's clear that it is wintertime. That's why the wildflowers are dead. Yeah, hypothermia is a bitch, dude. That's coming for you. Exactly. Even if you weren't going to drown, did she not think about the fact that it would be cold? Yeah, it's... This scene... There's a lot of things I have questions about this, because up to this point, we assume that most of what she's doing is just for the adrenaline rush to see Edward again. But everyone after this point will refer to this as, like, Bella attempting suicide. Yeah, literally. And I'm not, I don't know how much uh, I buy that as like her motivation. I can see how people would think that that's what she was doing because she was jumping off of a cliff fully clothed. Uh, But I'm not sure if it's made clear what her actual intentions were because she'll just always say like, I just wanted to see Edward again. But like, that doesn't really clarify what your end goal with jumping into the sea was from this cliff. Well, the thing is, all the other characters call her out for it too they're like what what was your goal with that are you dumb (laughs) and like literally jacob says it alice says it everyone's like why did you do that (laughs) yeah literally. so it's not just us being confused on what her motivation was at that exact moment Mm -hmm. no one understood what was going through her head at that moment yeah like she's just talking to the specter of edward she's like i gotta fuck around and find out and then jumps into the sea and it's like okay and she seems fine at first but then the waves start crashing in and she gets disoriented and like hits another rock as bella is wont to do in this movie uh and as she's sort of like struggling and drowning the red hair of victoria comes like swimming towards her (laughs) victoria having also jumped into the sea somewhere else in forks to escape the wolves but before victoria can get her uh, Jacob pulls Bella out of the water and brings her back to life by saying, breathe a bunch. <laughs> yeah, literally the world's worst CPR. Good thing she wasn't actually dying. Um, mm-hmm. Because those two pats on the chest he did before she sputtled <laughs> yes. up. You, our, our listeners may not know this, but you you were a lifeguard for a while. So <laughs> like, <laughs> you're, in your professional just... opinion. <laughs> and then, But then the way she like sputtles out that little dribble of water... Oh my god, yeah. It's not even a whole mouthful. It's like the tiniest little dribble. <laughs> like, girl, if you're drowning, your lungs are filled. It was just like, she was like, hey, Jacob. <laughs> Immediately. Like, so nonchalant. What's going on at Harry's? Everything about it, so nonchalant. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Jacob tells her that her dad is over at Harry's because Harry had a heart attack and died. So, rip to a uh, real one, I guess. Uh, and then he takes her home. <laughs> Harry's death was so unnecessary. Like, it served... I thought so, too. No purpose. It just made everybody sad. I mean, I guess they wanted to be like, look at how people die in the face of those bloodsuckers. I guess. (laughs) I, like... It feels like that's what they wanted for it to be like another... But then the way that Jacob just blows it off at the beach, where he's just like... Harry didn't make it. And then they just move on. 
I was like, well, you you missed that. And it's not like he mentions, like, Harry had a heart attack because he saw Victoria. He just says that Harry had a heart attack, which, like, is a thing that just could happen to an older man. <laughs> you know. it's It just has no impact. And it seems like a shame because I'm like, ah, Harry, you've been in the background of shots giving knowing glances about werewolves this whole time. It's a shame to see you get killed off by a vampire after doing exactly. nothing. Exactly. <laughs> and then when he... Honestly, it really did make me, like, cackle when he just, like, sweeped away the paw print. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's, like, destroying evidence as they go. Yeah. I wanted more of that and less of him immediately dying. But I guess this movie does not exist to give me what I want, does it? <laughs> uh, from the water, Victoria lurks and watches them, like, leave the beach. She just sort of, like, is half submerged. <laughs> I guess she can swim infinitely. Um. On the drive home, Bella's shivering, and then she leans into Jacob, who explains that he runs warm because it's a wolf thing, and then Bella compares him to the sun. I can't even... Right. I can't make this right. dialogue up. It's... Oh, God. And Jacob explains that what happened to Emily's face was Sam's fault, and he kind of, like, says he's worried that he'll get mad at Bella, and the same thing will happen, and Bella's like, I won't let you lose yourself like that. And she's like, I'm going to tell you you're special all the time. Uh, and he goes in for the kiss, as you would assume would normally happen at following such dialogue, but she just is not having it, so they just sort of, like, awkwardly side-hug it out instead. <laughs> uh, and and Bella gets, goes to get out of the car to go back into her house, but Jacob's like, wait, there's a vampire. And Bella spots Carlisle's car and is like, no, no, it's all good, it's a Cullen, they're, our, they're my bros. And Jacob's like, I can't defend you, please stay here with me, I can't attack a Cullen because of the treaty. And Bella's like, you gotta let me go. And when she goes inside, it's Alice. Alice is here. She said that she had a vision of Bella jumping off a cliff and assumed that she was dead. Um, they sort of... So she waited inside of Bella's empty house. Yep. I, I thought that was so weird. She was like, why are you alive? Why aren't you dead? Who are you waiting for, Charlie? <laughs> it's... Like, what was she waiting, lurking in the house, in the dark? Baffling. Who was she waiting for? Yeah, right? Like, what... Were you looking for clues? What were you doing there? It was odd. Alice and Bella sort of catch up. Bella brings up the werewolf thing, which is about when Jacob crashes the party by rolling into the room. Uh, Jacob sort of like brings up Victoria and Alice explains that like I, she couldn't see Bella surviving and like Victoria arriving because she gets like her vision blocked by the wolf pack, which is, I guess, a good enough reason for her vision not to work. I it's also like the meanest we've ever seen Alice be. Yeah. Her it seemed like, like so out of character to me because Alice is never mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's also because like my understanding of the, the werewolf versus vampire lore in this movie is that werewolves are just strong enough to take down a vampire. Not necessarily that they have any special abilities other than, you know, being wolves that necessarily allows them to destroy a vampire. So it's weird to me that they're also blocking, like, vampires' special effects, because that feels like a level of magical ability above what they have been explained to have to this point. It's also strange, too, because, like, they have this treaty, and, like, this is, like, a, what, hundred years long treaty? Yeah. Why all the animosity? Right? Like, I guess just on principle, vampires and werewolves not getting along but it doesn't seem like anyone's necessarily done anything to make this generation of werewolves be like time to fight you know and it seemed like jacob never really liked the cullens much mm -hmm. anyway before he like found out about all this like wolf lore right so I, it's so weird to me it's it's a strange situation it does feel a lot of just like 
well, Jacob can't have Bella, so we have to make Jacob and Edward have beef beyond Bella. So I guess that they'll be from like rival clans or whatever. Like everything in the story is serving the love triangle, but it's serving it poorly. Um, <laughs> Alice steps out for a minute so that Bella and Jacob can talk and talk. They do. Uh, they sort of wax poetic a little bit more in the kitchen before they almost kiss. But then the phone rings and Jacob answers it, despite it not being his house. And after a moment, we, we hear him respond. He's not here right now. He's arranging a funeral. And then we cut to... I kind of love that whole thing. We cut to the other end of the phone line in Rio de Janeiro, where Edward, in, in like a coverall for some reason, is dressed like his audition tape for the lighthouse, crushes his cell phone in his hand. This was my favorite shot of the entire movie, was this other side of the phone line. It's so good. I... I was so disoriented. I was like, <laughs> where is he? I was like, I'm glad you figured it out. I glad, I'm glad you knew where he was. Because I was like, where yeah, is You can he? see like, the, is... the giant um, Jesus statue, Christo the Redeemer, in the background. Like, very uh, high contrast highlighted against the, <laughs> against through the window. <laughs> and Which is why I noted it. Because I was like, why are they so specifically putting him in Rio? Like, he could have just been in any ambiguous, just not Forks location, but they're like, no, 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 Edward is in Rio. <laughs> it's very important that you notice this. And then in... Where are the Volturi located? Are they in Italy? Like, where? It's never... So it's never really, like, said, because they're just their town is just, like, Voltura or something, which is not a real place. And they're like, everyone's speaking Italian, so I assumed it was That's Italy. That's where I was like, is it Italy? Because they keep, they're speaking Italian. They're speaking and I was like, Italian. but I don't. And they go to like a, a festival that feels very Italian, but like they don't necessarily explicitly say it. So it's sort of just like guesswork that it is Italy. And then I'm like, how did Edward beat them? You know, Alice, she has visions and she can see into the future. I'm like, how did Edward beat them to Italy? Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of questions. Um, as Jacob hangs up the phone, Bella asks who called, and Jacob just sort of like looks ashamed for a minute uh, before Alice busts back into the room unceremoniously and says that Edward thinks that Bella is dead and that he's going to the Volturi so that he can die too, that they gotta leave right now so that they can go save him. Jacob tries to get Bella to stay with him, but she gets in the car with Alice to go save Edward. Jacob, like, tries to get her to stay a bunch by saying, like, don't go, repeatedly, and then eventually they drive off. And then very via various modes of transport the gals make for the Volturi in, as we mentioned, ambiguously Italy. Um, <laughs> Edward, dressed in, like, his PJs, is talking to the Volturi council to ask if that they'll if they'll kill him. And the council's like, we won't kill you because your magical abilities are too valuable to us, but you could join us for a while. And Edward's like muttering to himself, not without cause, you won't kill me. He is he is literally not having it. He looks like he's been through it, which is another thing about that muttering where he's like muttering like, oh, I, I'll just have to give you a reason. Like so many of these characters mutter things but kind of loudly to themselves yeah as if everyone in the room doesn't or in the vicinity doesn't <laughs> they do it constantly where they like it's clear that they don't actually want the people around them to hear it but then why even say it out loud and the right. thing is like i know that it's not like their fault but, like, the acting doesn't convince you that they're so overcome with emotion that it just slips out. 
It's literally like they're standing there stone-faced. <laughs> and then they mutter a piece of information that they didn't want anyone else to have. It's baff. It's like the opposite of when they shoot a... Because one of the things that you'll do when you're shooting like a club or a party scene in a movie is you won't actually play music and muttering in the background. You'll add that in post. And so actors will often be delivering their lines at a normal tone of volume that you wouldn't be able to hear if you were at an actual club. This is like the inverse of that, where the scene is so quiet that the actors should have been whispering so much more, but because they're talking in like a normal tone of volume, it, it also doesn't make sense situationally. And instead, the, ro- the whole room is in on it. The whole yes, room. the whole room. Everyone in this room knows exactly what's up. Uh, <laughs> Alice foresees Edward's plan and explains it to Bella. She's like, he's going to expose himself to humans when the sun is at its highest at noon. And the gals sort of speed through these narrow streets filled with red hooded celebrators of St. Marco's Day, a celebration of the expulsion of vampires from the city. (laughs) (laughs) These next 25 minutes are probably like the best 20 minutes of the entire movie. Oh yeah, this is the only part of the movie that I like consistently remember uh, after watching it. they're, They're driving real fast until eventually the crowd gets too thick and Bella has to get out and hoof it on foot to try and run to stop Edward. Uh, who's at the clock tower. The Which quarter. poor Bella, because she has literally never run a day in her life, and she's Not, had to run uh, probably about once. four or five times in this book. We've seen her collapse in the woods so many times, the fact that she makes it to the clock tower is a miracle at all. <laughs> she watches the clock toll noon as Edward starts to take off his shirt and step into the sunlight, but before, in slow motion, in slow motion, dear listeners, <laughs> Bella... <laughs> runs to a now sparkly Edward and tackle hugs him back into the shadows. He's shirtless, but he's safe. <laughs> She's like, okay, you're, you're good. Wait, wait, that line too that he says was actually so quality when he <laughs> sniffs her and goes, ah, this is heaven. <laughs> Yeah, so Edward's at first got his eyes closed. So he's like, he thinks that he's he's died and that's that he's he's in heaven now. But it, Bella's like, no, no, I, I'm really here. You're you're not guilty of letting me die. You you got open your eyes. You can you, I can let you go now. And he's like, wait, I'm not guilty. I wasn't feeling guilty. I just I loved you so much that that I, I wanted to die because I, I couldn't live in a world where you didn't exist. And it's like, dear God, what were any of your motivations this entire time? <laughs> Uh, Bella and Edward take the opportunity to make out with many, many crossfades hiding the lack of chemistry. Uh, then, <laughs> then two Volturi agents show up along with Jane, uh, a younger looking vampire who they all seem to respect quite a bit or fear, whatever your flavor of who the month I is. Both, well, one, I love Dakota Fanning, yes. so there's that. But I also love, hate Jane. I love her because she's a raging bitch. Yeah. But also I hate her because she's a raging bitch. Ooh, she's fun to hate, though. She's got somewhat more acting than the other characters in that instead of constipation, her theme is smirking. Yes, <laughs> So she's somewhat it. more fun to watch. <laughs> uh, but they, they take Edward, Bella, and Alice with them to come uh, visit before the council. Uh, the guys on the walk to the council also give Edward a cloak, which is very thoughtful until he puts it on and I realize it has the world's deepest V-neck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they take an elevator down to the council chambers, which was just a very normal elevator for like vampire council. And inside a... Wait, and that ride was incredibly awkward. Did you hear the elevator music? Yeah. 
I could not. I had to laugh. And I don't know how they kept straight faces inside that elevator. No, it's just not possible. Like That shot probably took more takes than anything else in this entire movie. Because I can't imagine that you could keep a straight face. Unless you were so beaten down (laughs) by the property that you're in at that point. That it was just like, dear God, let this be over with. Inside a very dramatic dome, the council awakes. Aro, Aro, their leader can read everyone, someone's every thought that they've ever had with a single touch. And he reads all of Edward's thoughts. And he's like, uh, interesting that you, you can't read Bella's uh, mind. Maybe her power, like maybe our powers don't work on her. Let's test it with some other vampires. So first he holds Bella's hand and he's like, you are an exception to my vampire powers as well. And he's like, well, let's test this again. So he, he tries to get Jane who causes pain just by saying the word pain and looking at you. Um, and she's like, gonna... I don't even think she, I don't even think she has to say the word cause she didn't say it for Bella and she doesn't in later movies. I think that they just thought that people would be too dumb to figure it out <laughs> if they didn't have her explicitly say it that first time. Fair enough. Cause she does. You're, you're right. She doesn't say it when she looks at Bella. Cause she, she tries to do it. She says pain Edward gets in the way. So I guess it's a line of sight sort of deal. Like if <laughs> all you have to do is jump into her line of sight before she starts using it and you are subjected to it. And he, he writhes in agony. But when she tries to use it on Bella, it doesn't work. So it seems that Bella is immune to all vampire powers, except for the you know ones like super strength and biting. <laughs> Aro then declares Bella a liability. And he's like, well, I guess we got to do something about this. It's a shame you're, you're not joining our ranks. Um, and he tells Felix to go do some nonsense but Edward rushes to her defense and Felix and Edward duke it out for a bit Um, mostly Felix choking Edward and then running across the room (laughs) literally literally beating Edward senseless yeah I thought that was so tragic I was like no wonder you (laughs) ran away because even if you were there you can't protect her seriously like your combat ability is so mediocre for someone who and then keeps... Alice was just standing there. Oh my god! Like, what's his face? I don't even know the other one's name. He just put the chokehold on her, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, he really was just like, mm, "You're good. You're not gonna try anything." <laughs> it looks like they're gonna kill Edward, but then Bella's like, "No, no, no! Kill me instead. Uh, I, I offer myself in his place." Uh, and it looks like Aro's like gonna take her up on that, uh, but Alice is like, "Wait." You said that if she becomes one of us, then we could leave her alive. Well, I have foreseen in my mystic visions ex machina of the future <laughs> that Bella will indeed become one of us. And it'll be me who changes her. So they, they let our trio go so that they can prepare Bella to become a vampire. Um, and as they're leaving, Heidi uh, leads a group of tourists in to get eaten. And we know that they get eaten because we hear their screams as Bella enters the elevator again. <laughs> We cut to Bella freaking out in bed, but this time when she has her nightmare, Edward is sitting next to her in her room. Uh, (laughs) Edward's like, the only reason that I left was so that you could have a happy, normal life and I'll never fail you again. Um, (laughs) Which is when Charlie walks in as Edward kind of whooshes and vanishes. Um, And Charlie's like, yeah, uh, you can't just leave randomly i don't care if you're 18 like you can't just go to italy on a whim you're grounded uh for the rest of your life and then he, he leaves the scene after having performed his one token dad action um 
Bella and Edward take the opportunity to kiss for a bit before Edward is like, I still don't want to change you. And Bella's like, look, dude, no, we, we not only have we been over this, but we have to now or else all of us are going to get killed off by some crazy vampires. Uh, not you, but other crazy vampires. Bella decides to go to the Cullen family and ask for a vote about whether they'll change her and allow her to join their family or not. And everyone but uh, Rosalie and Edward seem to be on board. Later on, while driving, Bella is, like, talking to Edward about the changing, and she's like, I'll wait until graduation so that uh, Charlie's not too sad. And then she's like, I want you to change me, Edward, before they have to abruptly break for a Jacob T-posing in the middle of the road. (laughs) (laughs) He's just standing out there. Uh, And Edward just, like, knows that Jacob wants to talk to him. So they walk into the woods as a trio. Edward thanks Jacob for keeping Bella alive before Jacob, rocking his jorts that he will wear for the rest of this series, uh, spouts exposition about how if, yes. any, <laughs> if any Cullen bites a human, the truce is over, including Bella. Jacob is like, I won't let you become a vampire. And Bella's like, I love you. So please don't make me choose because I'm going to I'm going to choose Edward. Like this is it's not even really a question at this point. <laughs> so <where. laughs> sad. <laughs> I'm like, this is just the premise of the entire series, so we got to sort of drag it out for a little bit. Edward and Jacob almost rumble, but Bella's like, when you fight, it hurts me. And Wolf Jacob, uh, in wolf form, sighs in wolf form. He, his wolf form sighs. It looks so funny. Uh, before he runs off into the woods to sulk. Edward then sort of like bargains with Bella for how long it'll be before he changes her to a vampire. He's like, five years. And Bella's like, that's too long. So he refused back with three And Bella's like, what are you waiting for? And Edward's like, I will change you on one condition. You got to marry me. And then on the most most abrupt (laughs) gasp that any human being has ever made, like it literally cuts off. It goes, and then the movie ends. That's cut to black credits. Literally, literally. (laughs) That's it. As if that was the worst thing that could have been said in the entire movie. That's the cliffhanger we need to end on. Marry me. New Moon. A movie where nothing happens and the ending is as randomly placed as the beginning was. Oh my god. This god. Ugh. I have a lot of yeah, nostalgia that one was pretty terrible. for Twilight, the first movie. I kind of enjoy watching it. Sometimes it's got some really funny dialogue in it and it's just ridiculous and everything's dialed up to 11. This is like the worst version of that, where not only is there not a succinct enough plot to like carry us through it, because it's basically just Bella being depressed for two hours straight, but it's yeah. it doesn't have enough it's... funny dialogue to carry it, and just nothing happens. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's crazy, too, because then you get to Eclipse right after this, and Eclipse is like one of the better ones. Like, it's yeah. up there in the top two. New Moon is like like so much prep for eclipse like because they set up victoria coming back and she sort of does but then she doesn't really nothing really happens with her she's just sort of out there still a problem when bella and the cullens come back and they they sort of set up like the werewolves existing but there's not a ton of conflict there other than bella and jacob have to like sort out whether or not they're romantically involved and and oh but then there's so much edward jacob beef in eclipse and that is where the comedy comes in in eclipse (laughs) Yeah, so this is basically just, like, a two-hour movie of all setup, uh, which ties into my previous point of none of the writers on this movie understand the concept of setup and payoff. <laughs> like, the end Maybe could that's why <laughs> they, knew, they, they knew that this movie was 
entirely set up. So then they kept doing smaller setups and then paying them off immediately because they were like, nothing, none of the bigger themes in this movie will get any payoff. Not, not right now. God, it's just... So maybe that's why they kept doing the immediate turnaround and payoff for the smallest of things. Maybe. I don't know. It kind of just feels like poor writing choices. <laughs> it's trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I like no shade to anyone who worked on Twilight. I, it's a, it was a, probably a, a tough series to adapt in any sense of the word and also wildly <laughs> popular for what it was at the time. So, you know... It's hard to sit on a high horse now in retrospect and throw shade at it, but <laughs> also it's so hard to watch. <laughs> I think part of what helped it take off is I really feel like when we were in like seventh, eighth grade, like junior high era, mm-hmm. vampires and werewolves were in. Yeah. They were like so, so in. And then by the time we like got towards the end of junior high and heading into high school, then dystopians took over. Mm -hmm. But there was like a nice chunk where like everybody was crazy for vampires and werewolves. And if you had Wattpad, (laughs) God, every story on there was a werewolf romance story. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Until they turned into One Direction fanfics. Hey, you know, the cultural zeitgeist is hard to predict, but consistent once it chooses something. It's the same reason we're getting like a hundred random medieval high fantasy stuff now. They're, what is the last duel, the Green Knight, coming off the tales of Game of Thrones. It's all it's all out there. Yeah, but you know, I just sort of like closing thoughts on this movie because <laughs> it's hard to have thoughts about something with so little going on, but so much at the same time. But I, I like to ask my guests, you know, what would maybe a situation you would recommend someone watch this movie in? If you would recommend people watch it at all, what are what are some of your your closing uh, opinions here on Twilight New Moon? I feel like um, if you're gonna watch this one, you have to have watched the original. Mm-hmm. You you have to start at the beginning. You have to know how we got here. Right. And then and then I do feel like if you're gonna waste two hours on this one. You've got to carry it all the way through. So the only instance I could see is if you're like, I need something new to start. You've already seen Harry Potter. You've already watched X-Men. But you need a saga to watch. And you want it to be lighthearted and enjoyable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Lighthearted and enjoyable. Two words I don't know if I would use to describe the Twilight series. (laughs) I feel like this is a great option especially if you have other friends that haven't seen it mm, yes i think the three of you watching it together <laughs> that could be something great yeah i i think i i agree this is a it's not really a good movie in any sense of the word but if you're going to watch it you really only should watch it as part of a marathon of all the other twilight movies because you not only need the context from the first one to understand what's happening in this one to begin with but uh, you're not going to feel very resolved at the end of this movie if you don't immediately go on to watch Eclipse afterwards either. <laughs> you'll, you'll just be basically ending on the worst cliffhanger of all time. Um, and it's definitely, I highly recommend watching it as a group and not alone because I did watch this movie alone in preparation for this podcast and it was a vastly different experience than the last time I watched it, which was drunkenly in a group. So <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's New Moon for you. <laughs> Those are those are my closing. I mean, I could watch it again. I, 
It's so terrible, it's kind of good. Yeah, it's not so terrible that it's unwatchable. It's just, it just requires very specific circumstances to make it enjoyable, I feel like. Oh, yeah. So it's hard to, in good faith, recommend people watch it in a vacuum. But if you set yourself up right, this can be a fun watch. Yeah, or if you turn it into a drinking game. Like, every time somebody makes a pained face, you take a drink. (laughs) Oh, you'd be dead. (laughs) No, no, don't make that a rule. You won't make it through the movie. That's just the whole movie. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Um, I would thank you for making me watch New Moon, but I can't do that in good faith. <laughs> but uh, if, our, <laughs> if our viewers want more from you, where can, they, where can they find you? I guess you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. All of my tags are all the same. They're all LaraDean126 um, on everything. Very consistent. Very easy to track. Um, I mostly do that for my FBI agent's benefit, but you know. <laughs> hey, you gotta you gotta help help them out every once in a while. Eh? It's it's a tough job. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be back with another episode in two weeks. But until then, happy watching, and uh, if you watch New Moon, good luck. Good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on October 25th with Total Recall, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns before then, feel free to email the pod at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And for more from our guest, Laura, check out the links to her socials in the show notes below. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.